0: This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio Alex with Cardinale. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts.
1: Fires. I know I did one particular fire tragedy, and that was the station nightclub fire, to get this series started. But did you know that most fires have the ability to turn tragic in just a matter of minutes? Fires are no joke. Most of the fires that I am going to talk about turned tragic because people did not know how to react or safely get themselves out of harm way. On top of the tragedies that I am going to discuss, I am also going to share some tips on what to do if you ever get caught in a fire. So that your chances of coming out unharmed are higher. It will also be good for me to know as well. So here are some of the fire tragedies that I'm going to talk about tonight. Once again, I'm going to quickly talk about the Station Nightclub Fire in Rhode Island. I will talk about the Hartford Circus Fire. I will talk about the Cedar Fire. I will talk about the Coconut Grove Fire. I will talk about the Iroquist Cedar Fire. And I'll also tell you what to do if you are trapped in a fire. This is going to be... An action-packed show with a lot of information. I have found a lot of info on these tragedies, but hey, you guys are going to walk away from the show with a lot of knowledge about these fire tragedies. We're going to start talking about fire tragedies right after our introduction. We're going to start talking about the Station Nightclub fire and the other fires right after this here on American Tragedy Hour.
0: You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything
2: that we want?
0: Well, then you're listening to the right talk show.
2: You're tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show.
0: With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to
2: hear the unexpected.
0: Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, get back to enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show.
1: about some of the worst fires in United States history. We're going to get started right now with the Station Nightclub Fire. Now, the Station Nightclub Fire occurred on Thursday, February 20th, 2003 in West Warwick, Rhode Island. The fire was caused by pyrotechnics set off by the tour manager of the evening's headlining band, Great White, which ignited flammable sound insulation foam in the walls and ceilings surrounding the stage. A fast-moving fire engulfed the club in five and a half minutes. So basically, in other words, that means the building caught on fire, and burned down in just five and a half minutes. Now, it was the fourth deadliest nightclub fire in United States history, killing a 100 people. It was also one of the deadliest disasters in the history of New England. The fire started just seconds into the band's opening song, Desert Moon, when pyrotechnics set off by tour manager Danielle Buscelli ignited flammable acoustic foam on both sides of the drummer's archive at the back of the stage. The flames were initially thought to be part of the act because the song's music video clearly shows flames blazing around the musicians, but Only as the fire reached the ceiling and smoke began to bank down did people realize it was uncontrolled. Twenty seconds after the pyrotechnics ended, the band stopped playing and lead vocalist Jack Russell calmly remarked into the microphone, Wow, that's not good. Imagine this, folks. In less than a minute, the entire stage was engulfed in flames, with most of the band members and entourage fleeing for the west exit by the stage. By this time, the nightclub's fire alarm had been activated, and although there were four possible exits, Most people headed for the front door through which they had entered. The ensuing stampede led to a crash in the narrow hallway leading to that exit, quickly blocking the exit completely and resulting in numerous deaths and injuries among the patrons and staff. A total of 462 people were in attendance, even though the club's official licensed capacity was 404. A hundred people lost their lives, and about half of the survivors were injured, either from burns, smoke inhalation, thermal trauma, or trampling. So you see the danger. Of what could happen if you add way too many people to a building. That is why there is a reason why a building can only hold so much people, because in case of an emergency, life could be lost. That's why buildings usually do not uh, want to exceed the limit of people inside the building nowadays. But years ago, people would ignore that and add more people to the building. Anyways, for more information on the Station Nightclub Fire, check out our very first American Tragedy Hour here on American Variety Network because I provided an hour's worth of info on the Station Nightclub Fire. Now, the next fire I'm going to talk about is a really old fire. It happened many centuries ago, and it really is something that I never knew about until I started researching for this show a few weeks ago. This is the Hartford Circus Fire. Now, the Hartford Circus Fire occurred on July 6th. 1944 in Hartford, Connecticut. It was one of the worst fire disasters in the history of the United States. The fire occurred during an afternoon performance of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, that was attended by 6,000 to 8,000 people. 160, 167 people died, and more than 700 were injured. So, 167 people lost their lives, unfortunately. Now, the fire began as a small flame after the lions performed on the southwest side wall of the tent while the great Wandazas were performing. Circus band leader Merle Evans was said to have been the first person to spot the flames and immediately directed the band to play the Stars and Stripes Forever, the tunes that traditionally signaled distress to all circus personnel. Ringmaster Fred Branda Urged the audience not to panic and to leave in an orderly fashion, but the power failed and it could not be heard. Broadnaw and the ushers unsuccessfully tried to maintain some order as the panicked crowd tried to flee the big top. Sources and investigators defer on how many people were killed and injured. Various people and organizations. Say it was 167, 168, or 169 people. But it is estimated that over 700 people were estimated to be injured. And the investigators estimate that either 167, 168, or 169 people passed away. The cause of the fire remains unproven. Investigators at the time believed it was caused by a carelessly flicked cigarette, but often suspected an arsonist as well. So it could have been someone flicking a cigarette, or it could have been an arsonist. There's never uh, been a true cause of this fire yet. While many people burned to death, many others died as a result of the ensuing chaos though most spectators were able to escape the fire many people were caught up in the hysteria witnesses said some simply ran around in circles trying to find their loved ones rather than trying to escape from the burning tent some escaped but ran back inside to look for family members others stayed in their seats until it was too late assuming that the fire would be put out promptly. Because at least two of the exits were blocked by the chutes used to bring the show's big cats in and out of the tent, people trying to escape could not bypass them. Some died from injuries sustained after leaping from the tops of the bleachers in hopes that they could escape under the sides of the tent though that method of escape ended up killing more than it saved. Others died after being trampled by other spectators, with some sophisticating underneath the piles of people who fell over each other. Most of the dead were found in piles, some three bodies deep at the most congested exits, A small number of people were found alive at the bottoms of these piles, protected by the bodies on top of them, when the burning big top ultimately fell down. Because of a picture that appeared in several newspapers of sad tramp clown Emmett Kelly holding a water bucket, the event became known as the Day the Clowns Cried. Sounds like a very horrific fire. So the next time I go to a circus, I'm going to be extremely careful. All right, let's talk about the Cedar Fire. Now, the Cedar Fire was a wildfire which burned a large area of land in San Diego County, California, in October of 2003. The Cedar Fire was one of 15 wildfires burning throughout Southern California during that month, which became known as the 2003 Firestorm and the Fire Sague of 2003. The october two thousand and three California wildfires were estimated to have burned a total of eight hundred thousand acres. The cedar fire was the largest wildfire in recorded California history. The cedar fire began the cedar fire began in Semaca Mountains within the Cleveland National Forest. It was first reported at 5.37 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on October 25, 2003, to the south of Ramona in central San Diego County. Within ten minutes of the initial report of the fire, the United States Forest Service had deployed ten fire engines, two water tenders, two handcrafts, or excuse me, two hand crews and two chief officers. Within 30 minutes, 320 firefighters and six fire chiefs were en route. Overnight, the fast-moving fire killed 12 people living in Wildcat Canyon and Must Valley in the northern part of Lakeside, who had little or no warning that the fire was approaching. The fire destroyed 39 homes on the Barana Indian Reservation. In only a few hours, the Cedar Fire pushed southwest over 30 miles and burned over 100,000 acres at an average rate of 5,000 acres per hour. It crossed several large highways, including Interstate 15. By noon on October 26th, the fire was burning hundreds of homes in the Scripps Ranch community of San Diego and was threatening many others. On October 26th, the fire forged into Alpine, Harbison Canyon, and Crest, burning hundreds more homes and areas that had been devastated by the Lagoon Fire 33 years earlier. By October 28th, the strong easterly Santa Ann winds died down, and the fire turned east, consuming another 114,000 acres. On October 29th, a fire company who were attempting to defend a house in the Riverwood Estates near Santa Yesabel, became entrapped and overrun by the fire. One firefighter died, another firefighter sustained severe injuries, and two firefighters were hurt. The fire forced the evacuation of the main air traffic control faculty for arriving and departing aircraft in the San Diego and Los Angeles areas, shutting down all commercial and general aviation in the region and disrupting air traffic across the United States of America. Wow. Can you imagine a fire making uh all your all your states airways shutting down? Now, in the wake of the 2003 firestorm, including the Cedar Fire, California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a governor, declared a state of emergency and activated the National Guard to assist in the disaster relief process. President George W. Bush declared Los Angeles, San Bernardino, San Diego, and Ventura counties' major desert, uh, disaster areas. San Diego's Qualcomm Stadium was used as an evacuation site, forcing the NFL to move the Monday night football game on October 27th between the San Diego Chargers and Miami Dolphins to Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, Arizona. Now, if you want to talk about ancient history, this is a really old fire, but this next fire that I'm going to talk about is one of the worst fires that take place in the capital of Massachusetts. I researched this fire a lot in uh, high school social studies class, and I became more interested in it. This is the Coconut Grove fire. The Coconut Grove was Boston's premier nightclub during the post-prohibition 1930s and 1940s. On November 28, 1942, this club was the scene of the deadliest nightclub fire in history, killing 492 people. Yes, 492 people lost their life and that was 32 more people than the building's authorized capacity and a hundred more people were injured hundreds more rather hundreds of other people were injured now the enormity of the tragedy shocked the nation and briefly replaced the events of world war ii in newspaper headlines, official reports state that the fire started at about 10:15 p.m. in the dark, intimate Melody Lounge downstairs. A young pianist and singer, Goody Goodell, was performing on a revolving stage surrounded by artificial palm trees. It was believed that a young man, possibly a soldier, had removed a light bulb in order to give himself privacy while kissing his date. Stanley Tomazowski, a 16 year old busboy, was instructed to put the light back on by retightening the bulb. As he attempted to tighten the light bulb in its socket, the bulb fell from his hand. In the dimly lit lounge, Tomazowski, unable to see the socket, lit a match to illuminate the area, found the socket, replaced the bulb, and extinguished the match. Though occurring in the same corner where the fire was seen to have begun, the official report determined that Tamazaki's actions could not be found to be the source of the fire, which will be entered into the records of this department as being of unknown or origin. Despite waiters' efforts to douse the fire with water, it quickly spread along the fronds of the palm tree, igniting decorations on the walls and ceiling. Flames raced up the stairway to the main level, burning the hair of customers stumbling up the stairs a fireball burst across the central dance floor as the orchestra was beginning its evening show. Flames raced through the adjacent Carcaturia Bar, then down a courtier to the Broadway Lounge. Within five minutes, flames had spread to the main club room, and the entire nightclub was ablaze. As in common... And as is common in panic situations, many patroons attempted to exit through the main entrance the same way they had entered. The building's main entrance was a single revolving door rendered useless as the panic crowd scrambled for safety. Bodies piled up behind both sides of the revolving door, jamming it to the extent that firefighters had to dismantle it to enter. Later, after fire laws had tightened, it would become illegal to have only one revolving door as a main entrance without being flanked by outward opening doors with panic bar openers attached or have the revolving door set up so that the doors could fold against themselves in emergency situations. Other avenues of escape were similarly useless. Side doors had been bolted shut to prevent people from leaving without paying. A plate glass window, which could have been smashed for escape, was boarded up and unusable as an emergency exit. Other unlocked doors, like the ones in the Broadway Lounge, opened inwards, rendering them useless against the crush of people trying to escape. Fire officials later testified that had the doors spun outwards, at least 300 lives could have been spared. Many young soldiers perished in the disaster as well as a newly married couple. As night deepened, the temperature dropped. Water on cobblestones froze. Hoses froze to the ground. From nearby bars, soldiers and sailors raced to assist. On the street, firefighters lugged out bodies and were treated for burned hands. Smoldering Bodies, living and dead, were hosed in icy water. Some victims had ingested fumes so hot that when they inhaled cold air, as one firefighter put it, they dropped like stones. Later, during the cleanup of the building, firefighters found several dead guests sitting in their seats with drinks in their hands. They had become... They had been overcome so quickly by fire and toxic smoke that they hadn't had time to move. Wow, that is really sad. So that was the Coconut Grove fire, a uh, terrible fire. wish it never happened. All right, our next fire we're going to talk about is the Iroquist Cedar Fire. Now, the Iroquois Cedar Fire happened on December 30, 1903, in Chicago, Illinois. It was the deadliest cedar fire and the deadliest single-building fire in United States history. At least, get this, folks, 602 people died as a result of the fire, but not all the deaths were reported, as some of the bodies were removed from the scene. On December 30, 1903, a Wednesday, the Iroquois presented a matinee performance of the popular Drury Lane musical, Mr. Bluebeard, which had been playing at the Iroquois since opening night. At about 3.15 that afternoon, shortly after the beginning of the second act, eight men and eight women were performing in the pale moonlight. Sparks from an arc light ignited a muslin curtain, probably as a result of an electrical short circuit. A stage a stagehand tried to dose the fire with the kill-free canisters provided, but it quickly spread to the fly gallery high above the stage. There, several thousand square feet, of highly flammable painted canvas scenery flats were hung. The stage manager tried to lower the asbestos fire curtain, but it snagged. Early reports state that it was stopped by the trolley wire that carried one of the acrobats over the stage, but later investigations showed that the curtain had been blocked by a light reflector which stuck out under the pro-scanum arc. Foy, who was preparing to go on stage at the time, ran out and attempted to calm the crowd, first making sure that his young son was in the care of a stagehand. He later wrote, "'It struck me as I looked out over the crowd "'during the first act that I had never before seen so many women and children in the audience. Even the gallery was full of mothers and children. Foy was widely seen as a hero after the fire for his courage in remaining on stage and pleading with rooms not to panic, even as large chunks Of burning scenery landed around him. By this time, many of the patroons on all levels were quickly attempting to flee the theater. Some had found the fire exits hidden behind draperies on the north side of the building, but found that they could not open the unfamiliar Baskill Locks. Bar owner Frank Houseman, a former baseball player with the Chicago Colts, defied an usher who refused to open a door. He was able to open a door because his icebox at home had a similar lock. Houseman credits his friend outfielder Charlie Dexter, who had just quit the Boston Bean Eaters. Wow, what a name for a team. With forcing open another door. A third door was opened either by brute force or by a blast of air, but most of the other doors could not be opened. Some patroons panicked, crashing or trampling others in a desperate attempt to escape from the fire. Many were killed while trapped in dead ends or trying to open what looked like doors with windows in, but were actually only windows. The dancers on stage were also forced to flee, along with the performers backstage and in the numerous dressing rooms. When the performers and stagehands went out of the back exit, an icy wind rushed in and made the fire substantially bigger. Many escaped from the theaters through the coal hatch and through windows in the dressing rooms, and others tried to escape via the west stage door, which opened inwards and became jammed as actors pressed toward the door, frantically trying to get out. By chance, a passing railroad agent saw the crowd pressing against the door and unfastened the hinges, from the outside, using tools that he normally carried with him, allowing the actors and stagehands to escape. Someone else opens a massive double freight doors in the north wall, normally used for scenery, allowing a cyclonic blast of cold air to rush into the building and create an enormous fireball. As the vents above the stage were nailed or wired shut. The fireball instead traveled outwards, ducking under the stuck assistive curtain and striking towards the vents behind the dress circle and gallery 50 feet away. The hot gases and flames passed over the heads of those in the orchestra seats and incinerated everything flammable in the gallery and dress Circle levels included patroons still trapped in those areas. Those in the orchestra section exited to the foyer and out of the front door, but those in the dress circle and gallery who escaped the fireball could not reach the foyer because the iron grates that bared the stairways were still in place. The largest death toll was at the base of the stairway, where hundreds of people were trampled, crushed, or sophisticated. Patrons who were able to escape via the emergency exits on the north side found themselves on the unfinished fire escapes. Many jumped or fell from the icy, narrow fire escapes to their death. The bodies of the first jumpers broke the falls of those who followed them. Very, very tragic. Some of these awful deaths are tragic, and it's awful to even think about. So I would like to take a moment of silence and a rest in peace for all the victims right now. So please join me in a moment of silence. Okay. So now we're gonna go ahead and take our commercial break, which is being sponsored by CARIB Sea, a tropical fish keeping company that provides fish keepers with quality products such as life rock, the best alternative to live rock in a saltwater aquarium without the unwanted pest and Live sand. Carib Sea simply has the best live sand and some other great products. So if you are a tropical fish keeper, Carib Sea is for you. I'm going to play a couple of songs and our commercials, and when we come back, we're going to continue having a discussion on the worst fires in United States history.
0: Coming up
2: next.
1: Next. Some more discussions on some of the worst fires in United States history. Plus, I'll tell you what to do if you get trapped in a fire so that you can escape unharmed. But first, let's hear some music and our awesome commercials
3: back my bags last night free flight zero out 9 am and I'm gonna be high as a kite by then I'm in Earth so much I miss my wife. It's lonely out to be on such a time I am Sun brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am.
4: Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety
1: Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network. And follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network 1. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like. And our fan page on Twitter is at American Network 1. And hit
2: follow.
4: Something big is coming to the American Variety Network on Saturday, February 13th, 2016. What could it be? I'll tell you. One thing is for sure. Whatever it is, it will be historic and could break the listen record for the American Variety Network. Stay tuned to the American Variety Network because on January 30th, 2016, I, Alice Cardinelli, will personally make the announcement live on air and all over social media.
3: Are you ready? Hey, thank you.
4: Well, get ready. The announcement is coming your way. January 30th. Coming to the American Variety Network on Saturday, starting Saturday, January 30th, 2016, is Saturday Live! ...with Alex Cardenelli. This will be a weekly show airing every Saturday. It will be similar to my favorite television shows... ...including Saturday Night Live, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart... ...and my other favorite shows. I will have a guest on each Saturday. I'll discuss each Saturday in history... And I'll have funny prank calls and more. So join me for the first Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli here on American Variety Network on January 30th, 2016 at 7 p.m.
2: Eastern
0: It's that time of year again, football lovers. It's time for the Super Bowl. This year is the historic 50th Super Bowl. For the first time ever, the American Variety Network will broadcast the Super Bowl halftime show. Join Alex Cardinelli and his friend, Flashmaster 1989 Jeff, Sunday, February 7th, 2016 at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or in other words, halftime on Super Bowl 50. For a recap of the first half and some fun, let's get ready for some football. Enjoy your pizza and wings and tune in to our Super Bowl 50 halftime show live on American Variety Network on February 7th, 2016 at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network.
5: Do you find yourself watching a lot of movies? Do you like watching new movies? How about classic movies? Would you like to listen to a movie reviews on live radio? If you call yourself a movie lover, then you will be happy to hear Alex Starr's Alex is going to be hosting a movie review show called Flickr Ticker, where Alex will recap all movies, new and old. Flickr Ticker movie reviews are exclusively on American Variety Network at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network.
2: You're listening to the American
0: Variety Network.
2: Your only place for variety on blog talk radio.
0: Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything
2: that we want?
0: Well... Then you're listening to the Ride Talk Show.
2: You're tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show.
0: With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, we and enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough... To talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything
2: that we want?
0: Well, then you're listening to the right talk show.
2: You're tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show.
0: With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, get back to enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show.
1: that, folks. I accidentally pressed our intro again. Welcome back to American Tragedy Hour here live on American Variety Network. Tonight, I am talking to you about some of the worst fires in American history. Now, before our commercial break, I talked about the Hartford Circus Fire, I talked about the Station Nightclub Fire, I talked about the Coconut Grove Fire in Boston, and some other fires. And now I'm going to continue talking about some of the worst fires in United States history, and then I will talk to you about what to do if you become trapped in a fire. So let's get back into it. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the 1983 Buffalo propane explosion. On the evening of December 27th, 1983, firefighters in Buffalo, New York, responded to a call regarding a propane gas leak. Shortly after arriving, the propane ignited leveling a warehouse and causing a wide swath of damage. Five firefighters and two civilians were killed in, in the blast and left many dozens more injured. The event remains the largest single-day loss of life for the Buffalo Fire Department. 37 seconds after the chief announced his arrival, the propane tank detonated. The explosion leveled the four story building and demolished other structures within a four block radius. Seriously damaged buildings were noted over half a mile away. The ensuing fireball. Started buildings burning on a number of streets. A large Gothic church on the next block had a huge section ripped out. A 10 story housing project several hundred feet away had every window broken. Now, get this, folks large fire trucks, Edge in 32 and trucks 5 firehouse which was a half mile away from the explosion, had all its windows shattered. Now here is what I am amazed at. The force of the blast threw Ladder 5, an aerial tiller nearly 35 feet into the front yard of a dwelling, instantly killing all five crew members. Two civilians, Alfred and Jesse Arnold, were also killed as they sat in their living room of their home, which neighbored the warehouse. Engine 1 was found across the street, injuring the captain and driver inside the cab and pinning them against burning debris. Engine 32 was slammed against the warehouse, buried in rubble. Eleven firefighters were injured in the initial blast, several of them critically. During the rescue efforts, 19 more firefighters were injured due to the adverse weather conditions. Over 150 civilians were transported to hospitals for injuries suffered in the explosion, and many more were treated at the scene. Our next fire is the Worcester Mass Coal Storage and Warehouse Company fire. The Worcester Coal Storage and Warehouse Company fire began on December 3, 1999 in an abandoned building at 266 Franklin Street, Worcester Mass. The fire was started accidentally sometime between 4.30 and 5.45 p.m., by two homeless people who were squatting in the building and had knocked over a candle. They left the scene without reporting the fire. The six-story building, previously used as a meat-cold storage faculty, had no windows above the ground floor and no fire detection or suppression systems. The fire which started on the second story, burned undetected for 30 to 90 minutes. Reports that homeless people were possibly inside the engulfed warehouse caused fire rescue personnel to search the six-story building. The searcher's task was made extremely difficult by the large size of the building's interior. The layout, which was a maze, of courtiers and meat lockers many with identical flush handle doors and the highly flammable composition of its insulation composition of its insulation rather the lack of available windows prevented firefighting personnel from making an accurate initial assessment of the fire Initial breaching of lower floor doors combined with venting the building by smashing an elevator shaft roof skylight effectively turns a building into a huge chimney. With the fire rapidly accelerating out of control, rescue teams facing near zero visibility became lost with available breathing air depleted. Despite repeated radio calls for help, along with activation of audible location alarms, six firefighters perished in the blaze. It took eight days to find and recover the remains of the six men. So all of those fires that I just talked about are all of the worst fires in the history of the United States of america and right now i'd once again like to take another moment of silence for all the victims who perished in a fire so join me in a second and final moment of silence for tonight's show Thank you for joining me in that moment of silence. Right now, I'm going to give you some tips so that you guys can be safe if you're ever caught in a fire. I would hate to see any of my listeners caught in a traumatic fire. So here is what to do if you are caught in a fire. If you get caught in a fire, survival is your top priority. You should remain calm, because the more stressed you get, the more you will not think clearly. So always remain calm. Feel if the door handle is hot before exiting, Close the door behind you to keep the fire from spreading. If your clothes catch on fire, stop, drop, and roll. Take fire alarms seriously. Treat every alarm as a real emergency. If smoke is present in the stairwell, avoid it and choose another route. Pull the fire alarm on your way out if the fire alarm is not already activated. Know the locations of emergency exits at every building you are in in case an emergency happens. You know, we all think that a fire is not going to happen when we go to the doctor's office or when we go to the grocery store or when we go anywhere, but the truth is, Fires can happen anywhere and at any time. So it's a good idea to know the locations of the emergency exits in every building that you are in so that you don't become trampled upon or one of the victims that dies because they don't know where the emergency exit is. Evacuate to your designated assembly area. So, this one goes if you are a school teacher or if you work for a public office, then obviously you're going to have a, de- a de- designated assembly area. Assist individuals with special needs. People who are disabled may have trouble getting out of a burning building, and it would be nice of you to help them escape. Get out of the building before phoning for help. Make a call from a safe location because you could still be in a building that could fall down from the intense heat and you're inside trying to make a 911 call. Get out and then call 911. Check the smoke alarms regularly to make sure they are working properly. Do not tamper with fire or life safety equipment. Make an escape plan and practice it. Don't look for other people or gather your belongings. Because the more time you waste in a burning building, the less chance you have of getting out alive. Knock on doors as you leave to let people know that they need to get out of the building. Yell fire as you leave. That will make people leave the building. Don't hesitate or stray from your path as you leave. Crawl low to the floor so that any burning debris is Or anything that might be falling will not fall directly on you and so that you won't get those awful fumes breathing in. Thick smoke can make it impossible to see. Toxic chemicals from smoke can be deadly in just minutes. If you can't get out, get someone's attention. Yell and scream. Hang a sheet out of the window. Stay low to the ground since there is less smoke and t- toxic gases coming through the floor. Now, here is how you can prevent fires from starting by taking some simple precautions clean up immediately after parties. The use of candles and incest is prohibited. Do not overload electrical outlets. Do not use space heaters and halogen lamps. Limit use of extension cords. Kitchen safety. Believe it or not, most apartment fires and most home fires are caused in the kitchen. Pay attention when you cook. You cannot put something on the stove and walk away. That is how a lot of fires start. Most of the fires are grease fires. So don't cook anything and walk away. Stay in the kitchen when you are frying, grilling, boiling, or broiling food. If you must leave the room, even for a short period of time, turn off the stove or have somebody watch your food cook. When you have finished cooking, turn off all burners and ovens. Microwave safety. Never use an extension cord for a microwave since it can overload the circuit and cause a fire. Never use aluminum foil or metal objects in the microwave. Remember that even if containers feel warm, the contents themselves may be very hot and can cause severe burns. Grease fires, it's the number one fire that firefighters get called to here in the United States of America, extinguishing grease fires. Cover your pan with a lid. Take, kick, kick it off of the burner and turn off the burner. Never pour water on a grease fire.
4: All right, guys
1: and gals, that is our show tonight. I hope you learned some valuable information on some of the worst fires in United States history, and I hope you learned about some good information on avoiding fires and what to do if you are in a fire. Uh, I think these American Tragedy Hour shows are very informal in preventing further tragedies. So hopefully we will not see any prolific, tragic fires in the next 20 years. Now, my next American Tragedy Hour is going to be in two weeks, and it's going to be on the worst accidents. Of all time I'll be talking about the worst car accidents And the worst accidents In general Think about it Car accidents happen very often I bet you right now in your city Or your state You have had a car accident In the last week Not you personally But someone in your city or state Has had a horrific car accident So join us next time On the next episode Of American Tragedy Hour As I discuss the worst accidents of all time Before I go, I'd like to remind everyone The series that I've been promoting Finally makes its debut live tomorrow At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Right here on American Variety Network Tomorrow, January 30th At 7 p.m. Eastern 6 p.m. Central 5 p.m. Pacific And 4 p.m. Mountain, Saturday, live with Alice Cardinelli debuts right here on American Variety Network. Tomorrow, I will start the show with some breaking news and a major announcement I've been promoting for quite a while. Find out when the 300th episode will be airing. Find out how you can win a prize on the 300th episode from our sponsor, Care of C. Find out who our awesome guests. It's going to be for our 300th episode. Plus, my very first guest for Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli is going to be my exclusive voiceover artist, Dylan Cruz. Plus, I'll talk about January 30th in history, and I'll share some funny audio clips with you and even funny prank calls. So join me for my very first Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I would like to thank CaribSea for sponsoring this episode of American Variety Network. I would like to thank all of you for tuning into this episode of American Tragedy Hour. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please, if you enjoyed the show, share the show URL with your friends and invite your friends to listen to this show. I love you all, my listeners. Check out my fan page on Facebook, American Variety Network fan group. Please feel free to join and chat with my other members. And like my fan page on Facebook, American Variety Network. And follow me on Twitter, American Network 1. With that being said, this episode was brought to you by the American Variety Network. I'm Alice Cardinelli. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe. Please do not get involved in any fires. Good night, everyone.
4: Something big is coming to the American Variety Network on Saturday, February thirteenth, two 2016. What could it be? I'll tell you. One thing is for sure. Whatever it is, It will be historic and could break the listen record for the American Variety Network. Stay tuned to the American Variety Network, because on January 30th, 2016, I, Alice Cardinelli, will personally make the announcement live on air and all over social media.
3: Are you ready Hey, thank you.
4: Well, get ready. The announcement is coming your way January 30th. Coming to the American Variety Network on Saturday. Starting Saturday, January 30th, 2016 is Saturday Live with Alex carden This will be a weekly show airing every Saturday. It will be similar to my favorite television shows, including Saturday Night Live, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and my other favorite shows. I will have a guest on each Saturday. I'll discuss... Saturday in history, and I'll have funny prank calls and more. So join me for the first Saturday live with Alice Cardinelli here on American Variety Network on January thirtieth, two thousand and sixteen, at seven p.m.
0: Eastern. It's that time of year again, football lovers. It's time for the Super Bowl. This year is the historic 50th Super Bowl. For the first time ever, the American Variety Network will broadcast the Super Bowl halftime show. Join Alex Cardinelli and his friend, Flashmaster 1989 Jeff, Sunday, February 7th, 2016 at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or in other words, halftime on Super Bowl 50. For a recap of the first half and some fun, let's get ready for some football. Enjoy your pizza and wings and tune in to our Super Bowl 50 halftime show live on American Variety Network on February 7th, 2016 at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network.
5: Donovan here, friend of Alex Cardinale. I personally want to thank you for supporting Alex Cardinale by listening to his episode of American Variety Network. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out his Facebook page, American Variety Network, and hit like. And check out our awesome fish group called Freshwater Maniacs. For all the fish keepers listening, check out my YouTube channel, Here for the Fins, for some awesome info on my fish. Thanks for listening, and Alex Cardinale will see you again for the next episode of American Variety Network. Rock on, folks!
2: That's all, folks.